James Taylor. Nothing personal word of the day on March 1st, 2021. You've got a friend. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you've got to do is call. And we've got spring training. Yes, we do. We've got spring training games. A lot of tweets going out this weekend. There'll be no more Fridays without a game until November. No more Sundays. I guess there's always games Friday and Sunday. Unless 10 games get rained out. It was a big deal. Spring training games started. People were already giving text alerts, strikeouts, walks, home runs, wins, losses. And it got me thinking that I had to lead off the show with James Taylor because there is a view of spring that seems to be out there that just isn't accurate. So here at Nothing Personal, we're going to make it accurate. Now, one of the people who tweeted at me or just tweeted in general about a spring training game, when I said, by the way, that's not accurate, then it was, the response was, I was being sarcastic. And I sort of believe him. He may have been sarcastic, but there's plenty of people who aren't. And I was one of them. I was one of the guys my first year in baseball at the tender young age of whatever I was, 32 years old in February of 2000. First spring training game, sitting there watching, excited as can be, want to remember the moment, very badly want to win the game. What did I know? I knew how to run a company. I didn't really understand the rhythm of baseball. If you're not in the game, you can't really understand, and it takes years and years to really figure out the rhythmic nature of the game, the seasonal nature, the body clock nature, the way it impacts you in every way, the way that every day becomes a little bit like Groundhog Day. I would always tell people, hey, you want to know where I am? I'm at the same damn place every day at 7.05 p.m. Every day. I'm either at a game or watching a game every day, 7.05. Want to know where I am? easy. So the first day of spring training, first game, I want to tell you how it works. Just from the inside so you know where the serious parts are and where the not so serious parts are. So you show up to spring training, you've got a locker clubhouse full of people. You actually, when you build a spring training facility and when you build out your clubhouse in spring training, it's not like a home clubhouse for a regular stadium for your everyday stadium during the season. The lockers are not as big. They're not as nice. Nothing's as good. And there's more of them. Because when spring training starts, you may have 60 guys in camp. So you pack everyone in and you bring in ancillary lockers, which are, uh, they're not foldable. They're not flexible. There's a damn word for it on a Monday morning. Temporary is the word I'm thinking of. You bring in temporary lockers like you're in high school and they're all in the middle of the clubhouse. So you have an extra, you know, five or 10 lockers. Every locker is taken up. You have an auxiliary locker room where some of the minor league guys who sometimes play in the major league games when you need an extra player or two, that's even more separate. So you come into spring training, the clubhouse is full of people. Then you go into the coach's room. And the first thing that you do when spring training starts is you make a schedule. 
the schedule has your regulars, your invited players who have a good chance to make the team, your invited players who are on the bubble, and your invited players who are only making the team if you've got unforeseen injuries or there is a level of performance that cannot be ignored which should never happen because any level of performance in spring training is not indicative of how the regular season will go, but I'll get back to that. No, I'm never going to get back to it. I'm just saying when a guy hits 420 during spring with 13 home runs and 30 RBI and never strike out, strikes out, makes great defensive plays, and you say, wow, we had him in the invite, no chance to make. Now we're going to put him on the team. We got to put him on the team. What a great spring he had. We had a guy named... Uh, he had a bunch of home runs one year, Coca, and uh, he was not due to make the team, and he he just went off, and so we put it on the team, put him on the team. He never he never really made it. I want to say his name was Abraham Nunez, but I may be thinking of someone completely different. And on a Monday morning, I don't expect Coca to find it because it's probably difficult to find. But there was a player who just had such a phenomenal spring that he was on track to hit 720 home runs in one season. In any case, so you put the names on a board. Then you draw a calendar that has the date of every spring training day. Game. Well, there's a game every day, but there's off days. But you put you put the off days in there, too. And you don't put days of the week. You just put what date it is. And then you have a box below every single player. What you keep track of for pitchers is number of pitches, and for hitters, number of at-bats. Because the view is you need to get your pitchers built up as they head into the regular season, and you need to get hitters their required number of at-bats so they're ready to go April 1, opening day, whenever opening day is going to be. Every hitter is different. Every hitter requires a different number of at-bats. There's some guys who want four at-bats the last seven days, three at-bats the seven days before that, two at-bats the seven days before that. There's some guys who say, just put me in. I'll play when I play. I'll take a couple at-bats here, a couple at-bats there. I'll be ready. There's some pitchers who can go from 30 to 40 to 60 to 80 pitches every five days. We would demand that bullpen arms do back-to-backs the last 10 days of spring training two sets of back-to-back, so they're ready to go back-to-back when the regular season begins. There's other relievers who are going to be your long guys, so you want to get them a start in spring training at least or some sort of relief. What never happened during spring training, which is hugely bizarre, in the beginning of spring, when the games first start, you actually have your closer pitch early in the game because you want your closer pitching against other teams' regulars and other teams and you pull your regulars early in spring after one or two at-bats. So you do not put your closer in to close a game in spring training because he'd be facing Larry, Moe, and Curley. And you would not get a good indication of whether or not he's ready to go. But the last week of spring training, You actually schedule a few night games to get the players ready to do their night schedule. And then you do players in the positions that are going to be in, in the batting order, pitchers, starting pitching, bullpen, setup guys, closer. You actually, the last week of spring training, have regular games. But the first game of spring training, where I was so excited, so into it, 
it is so meaningless that I don't think that there are proper words that have been constructed in the English language to explain to you how little executives focus on the early games of spring training. It is simply about actually, I was almost going to say literally, sorry, Levitard. Actually, it's about checking a box. You do the early games, the first game, the second game, the fourth game, the sixth game to make sure that your pitchers and your hitters are getting the work they need. What about during spring when everyone says, who's your opening day pitcher? There's a fight for the number three spot in the rotation. It's between these four guys to see who's going to be your number two starter. Do you know in the front office how much we focus on who are going to be the starters in what order? Hold on. Wait for it. (sighs) Nope. We don't. We have in our mind who the number one starter is, and we line up the number one starter for the beginning of spring training. We count backwards from opening day, five days before he'll start, five days before that he'll start, five days before that he'll start. So if you want to know who your team's opening day starter is, get out the abacus. That's all you need. You have to keep in mind there's off days, and sometimes teams like to give an extra day to their opening day pitcher in the middle of spring. So maybe when you line it up, you start from opening day, go backwards, and you may not be able to figure out until three weeks to go in spring training, which would be the second week of March before you can guess, but you don't need a manager to make this big announcement. It used to be a very big deal. The Marlins today announced who their opening day starter is. Everybody knew. Coke is telling me now, welcome to the show, that Nunez hit one home run for the Marlins in 58 games in 2004, but that's not entirely relevant. The interesting thing that I was asking, is he the guy who had that great spring training? That's what I want to know, Coca. That would be the value added. All right, what? This, this Hello, Coca. Do you know when you whisper like that, that they can't hear you? The people listening to the show can't hear you, but I can't hear you either. But if you yell, I can hear you. And I do. All right, whatever. I'm not even going to tell everyone that Abraham Nunez set the record for home runs in the Grapefruit League in spring training that offseason. And it was not offseason. That was during the season. All right. He set the record. I have the right guy. Synapses are flying here on the first day of March. It's the first day of the third month. This is the first day of the last month of the first quarter of 2021. Is that possible? Anyway, so that's how we set up pitching. That's how we set up hitting. The reason why your best players play in the first two innings of spring training, do you know what they do after they get their two at-bats and play in the field for two innings? And then if you're in a spring training game, you watch them walk out of the field. They do running because we make them run from pole to pole, and then they leave. They literally leave the complex. Hey, uh, Marcel, I just have a question. Did we win yesterday? Hell no, I have no idea. Literally, darn it, that is a mental oral crutch that I have. I'm going to work on that, Coca. I'm really going to try not to say that anymore. They don't care who wins or who loses. So game one happens. You set up your batting order, you speak to your manager, and here's the routine of spring training. Remember, it is morning-based. Unlike the regular season, which is night-based, spring training games are in the afternoon, which means report time 
is anywhere between 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. The players have to come. The first thing players do when they get to spring training every single day, they check in with the trainer. How do you feel? Do you have a sunburn? Does anything hurt? Do you have soreness? Because as players are ramping up, they get soreness. You want to get ahead of it because you want them ready for regular season. That's the object of spring training. Executives do not care if they win the Grapefruit League, if they win the Cactus League, if they're above 500, below 500 with wins and losses. They do not care. There's one exception. And that was me when I started. And then it was me after every fire sale, which I never call them fire sale. They were payroll flexibility adjustments. I think that's what I call them. In 2006, we had tried to repeat the 03 World Championship in 04 and 05, even though we had lost Derek Lee and Pudge Rodriguez. But then in 05, we had signed Elgato and Leiter, and we had a great team. Everything was good, and uh, it didn't work. Traded everyone away and started over in 06 with Hanley and Ugla on the team and that great young pitching staff with Josh Johnson, Annabelle Sanchez, and Scott Olson, Ricky Nolasco. We said to Girardi, who was a first-time manager, we said, listen, let's try to teach these guys we're supposed to lose 100 games. Everyone is projecting us to lose 100 games. Let's try to win during spring training. Let's actually manage to win these games. Forget development. Forget getting everyone ready. Let's manage to win because if we can instill a winning feeling or a winning culture, that'll translate to the regular season. It sounds so asinine when I say it right now, but it literally came unbelievable. It, I'm going to have to get one of those um, from Saving Silverman with Jason Biggs and Steve Zahn and Jack Black. I'm going to have to get one of, and Amanda Pete, one of those things when Jason Biggs was at dinner with the trapeze artist after they had kidnapped Amanda Pete and they put a taser, like an electric shock on his nipple every time he said the name of his previous girlfriend during his next date, they would tase him from the truck. Steve Zonwood. I'm going to have to get that for every time I say little bzz. I can't say little bzz. <laughs> we should do that, Coco. That'd be sort of funny. Do you know what else is funny on a random Monday? I have no idea where I was. I don't. I think we were talking about spring training. And I think we may have been talking about, I don't know, Coca. Can you help me? <sighs> Playing to win in 2006. Thank you, Coca. So we tell Girardi, let's try to win as many games as possible. And we ended up winning. And I could have this wrong, but I don't think so. I believe that we won the Grapefruit League that season, that we finished with the best record in the Grapefruit League. And we presented Joe with a bag of grapefruits. And it was a thing because our view was we're not going to win in the regular season. Let's try to win the damn Grapefruit League. We ended up going... I think 79 and 83 that season, Girardi won manager of the year and then got chickened. And that was 2006. But in general, you don't pay attention to spring training results at all. So when you're looking at your team and you're looking at the at-bats, don't, you cannot do, ready? 69, 68, 67. When you're following your favorite team during spring training and you're looking at box scores on the app on your phone, on the CBS Sports app, and you see that a player is 0 for 2 or 1 for 4, or he pitched two innings, gave up three hits and four runs, or three innings, no hits, one run. Don't worry. It doesn't matter. Spring training is really called spring training. 
You are training. You are prepping. You are trying to stay healthy. That is the first thing and the last thing that should matter and does matter to executives. Get through spring training healthy. If you sat down a GM and you said, what is the most important part of spring training? And they weren't lying to you. Some of them will say, and they'll sort of stand on his or her high horse and say, well, spring training is when we set the tone for the regular season. Spring training is when we come together as a team and we get ready to win. No, it's not. Spring training, the only thing that matters is to get through it without injury. If you can do that, that would be great. It's never happened. It doesn't happen. It can't happen by definition, which is why you've got the different silos of players on the team, bubble, off the team. And if you have a lot of off the team guys on your team, when spring training ends, you know you did not have a successful spring training. So we would go out and watch the games very differently in spring training than in the regular season. We're looking just to see no injuries. We're looking to make sure we keep track because we get a list before every game of who's playing when, how many at-bats, which pitchers are pitching in what inning, who the backup pitchers are in case a pitcher cannot get through an inning because it's not based on innings, it's based on pitches. So if a bullpen guy is coming in, you want him to pitch the sixth inning, his plan is to pitch the sixth inning, but he's only going to throw 25 pitches and he can't get anyone out, that's when the manager comes out and brings in another pitcher to finish that inning. And that pitcher does not get to start the next inning because that pitcher didn't know whether he was going to pitch or not because he's called the backup pitcher. The backup pitcher is the guy who's ready to pitch to finish an inning for a guy who's supposed to finish the inning but can't because of pitch count. So we're looking at those things. We're looking to see if fundamentals are happening correctly if the players know what the wheel play is and where they're going in different situations, because we have it in our, in our sort of paper, what the plays are, where all of the players are supposed to be, what the signs are, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first day of spring training. It's really nothing more than that. It's not worth you getting upset about. It's not worth you having confirmation bias. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. They won a game in spring training. They're going to be great. Forget it. As a matter of fact, Coca, I think we got to do a wait to see here. And the wait to see is, I'm going to guarantee it, the winner of the Grapefruit League in 2021 and the winner of the Cactus League, both winners will not make the playoffs. There's almost an inverse correlation. Now, if they expand the playoffs, this wait to see is a wash. But as it currently stands, because it expand the playoffs, in theory, they could expand it to 28 teams. And then the odds are super good that the winner of the Cactus and Grapefruit League will make the playoffs. But the way it is now, I'm going to say with 10 teams going to the playoffs, one out of every three, I guess the odds are totally in my favor, by the way, with this wait to see. But my point of the wait to see is that really, it doesn't matter. All right, something happened this weekend that made me smile. And it must have made someone else smile, Coca. I want to talk to Samson. Thank you, Coca. So you want to talk to Samson. We're still doing it here on Nothing Personal every day, most days. There's a movie called Half-Baked. In that movie, there is a character called Samson. People want to talk to him. You want to talk to me? I want to talk to you. I don't mean on Thursday Night Clubhouse. I don't mean in the mailbag episode that dropped this weekend. Hope you enjoyed it. I mean on this show, it's a so you want to talk to Samson. You get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. 
D-A-V-I-D-P-S-A-M-S-O-N. Ask a question. And if it's trending, if it's cool, if it's interesting, and most importantly, if Coca likes it, it will be in the show. The question asked of me today is, what's going on in Barcelona? That is a short question with a relatively long answer. There's a lot of building going on in Barcelona. There's some Corona. There's some amazing Gaudi architecture. Amazing, gorgeous. But I don't think that's what you're referring to. I think you're referring to Barca Gate. Is that what you're asking? What's going on in Barcelona? It's called Barca Gate. Before I answer what's going on in Barcelona, I wanna talk about gate because it occurred to me when I said to Coca, when we saw this question preparing for the show, deflate gate, spy gate, bridge gate, bridge and tunnel gate with Christie during something. I don't know what happened when they closed a bridge down. Someone went to jail, someone quit. Gate, why is everything called gate? Did you know that that started with something called Watergate? Do you know what Watergate is? Watergate is the name given to the scandal which caused the resignation of our president, Richard Nixon. It was a huge investigation into lying, wrongdoing. There was investigation upon investigation. There were wiretaps, there were phone taps, there were everything. Nixon was gonna be impeached. He may have actually been impeached. But before he could be convicted, you know, when you're impeached, that means articles of impeachment are sent from the House to the Senate. The Senate holds a trial. If you are convicted of impeachment, that's when you're Dixied. So Nixon never got convicted. So Nixon never got impeached. There were articles of impeachment that were forwarded to the Senate, but there was no trial. He resigned. So that was called Watergate. Watergate was named after the area where this took place, the Watergate complex, where all the spying happened and all the nefarious stuff. There was a very conservative columnist and writer named William Sapphire. William Sapphire coined it Watergate because it was Watergate. And then he started calling everything Gate, David Gate, Coca Gate, John Gate, Hotel Gate. William Sapphire started calling everything gate that was anything related to a possible scandal, even though they were tiny and unimportant as compared to what happened with the president. Because he wanted you to not associate Watergate as a big deal. He wanted you studying Watergate in history to say, oh, it must be like Deflategate. I don't know what Watergate is. Maybe Richard Nixon resigned because he had the hot water turned off in the White House. Could be anything. Watergate was a big deal. But now everything's called gate. Everything. It doesn't matter. Sports, business, anytime anything happens, we always coin the term. So William Sapphire, you won. You won. So there's something called Barsagate. That's what they're calling it. They're literally calling it Barsagate. The people in Barcelona who are calling it Barsagate I wonder if they know the etymology and the provenance of Watergate and why it's called gate at all. In any case, here's what's going on in Barcelona, and it's quite, quite strange. 
There have been arrests. Have you ever heard of Joseph Maria Bartomeu? Ex-Barcelona president. Have you ever heard of Oscar Grau, the club CEO? How about the head lawyer, Roman Gomez Ponti? Any of those guys? Doesn't matter. Guess what they are? They're in handcuffs. Three of the top executives who worked at Barca, as in Barcelona, as in Lionel Messi, as in Camp New, arrested. And here's what they did. A radio station, I don't know when it happened, sometime earlier in the pandemic, maybe even before the pandemic, like early 2020, some radio station came out with an accusation that they had done investigative journalism and found that the head of Barca, the top guys, had hired a firm and that firm had burner accounts on social media and those accounts were saying negative things about players on Barcelona. They were saying negative things about the current administration. Basically, they were trying to stir up the social media community in order to achieve their objectives, to keep their jobs, get more power, whatever their objectives were. They were just attacking people, these accounts. And it turns out that these accounts were all from a company, a social media marketing company. It turns out that these guys hired that company. They denied ever after the investigation came out, hey, I didn't know what they were doing. We didn't know. We just hired a marketing company. All of a sudden, you're telling me that this company is going rogue. They went rogue. They're a rogue marketing company is their claim. So let me explain to you how it works when you hire a marketing company. You put on an RFP request, request for proposal. You send it out to a bunch of different firms. In Miami, we would do Hispanic marketing and Anglo marketing. In Montreal, we did French marketing and English marketing. You send out this RFP, people respond, you interview. They respond and give you a presentation. Here's what we are going to do to satisfy your RFP. You want increased season ticket holders. You want better corporate sponsorships. You want engagement in the community. Here are the steps we are going to take to get that done. Do you like it? Let us know. Here's our retainer. You need $10,000 a month just because we want that. Then on top of that, you have to budget $250,000 for development of the proposal. And then you have to do a million dollar ad budget where you're buying ads on social media. Used to be in the newspapers, by the way. They'd give you a plan of every newspaper you're going to buy an ad in and when it would run, what day, how much it would cost. We're going to do the following three commercials. They're going to cost this amount to shoot. They're going to run this many times on the following channels. So if you're going to hire us, make sure you budget X in order to carry out the plan that you asked us to present to you. So you go through, we know the budget. We go back to them and say, we like your ideas, but you're gonna have to cut here, cut here, cut here, because you only have $2 million, not $10 million. Let us know, they come back. At the end, you've got a complete plan from A to Z. Every dollar, you know where it's going, everyone. The claim of these guys is that they had no idea 
what this marketing firm was doing, it is beyond cred credibility. I think the word is cred, 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 C-R-E-D-U-L-I-T-Y. Is that a word, Coca? Can you check that? C-R-E-D-U-L-I-T-Y? I really do believe that is a word. But again, it's Monday. So these guys are arrested because what, what was going on was actually illegal, what these guys were doing, what this marketing firm was doing. The minute the investigation came out, the marketing firm got fired as though that's going to convince the police and the investigators and the general public, oh, they fired him. They had nothing to do with it. Thank you. It is a word, Coca. A tendency to be too ready to believe that something is real or true beyond credul cred credulity. Credulity. I'm the worst pronunciator. <laughs> do you hear my tummy right now, by the way? It is growling. Are you getting that in the microphone? I'm growling right now. I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't sleep a lot. I didn't even get to watch a movie. I just was staring at the ceiling. In any case, so what's going to happen next in Barcelona, just as a small, quick FYI, is that these guys are actually going to be charged with crimes because you cannot, you cannot sully, slander, libel. You just can't do it. It's not allowed. What a mess, right? Can you imagine? I was thinking about this. First of all, it's obviously you cannot ever get on the stand and say, I had no idea what they're doing. I'm the team president. And I was involved in meetings. Even if I hadn't been involved in meetings, I still can't get on the stand and say that I had no idea what was going on because I'm the president. I've got to know what's going on. If I don't know what's going on, that is negligent of me. Period. So they're going to claim they didn't know. And you now know that they did know. It's really a problem for Barca. It really is. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk Golden Globes because I hope that you were up watching them because a lot went on. And then we're going to have a word because we have to about Russell Wilson. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Welcome. It's a new week. It's a new year. 
It's a new day. Golden Globes were last night. I love the Golden Globes because everyone gets together in a room. They're all sitting at a, in the Beverly Hills Hilton Hotel. They're in round tables. Every, it's interesting to see which stars are sitting at which table. It's interesting to see that they put the TV people on the second row of the tables. They have to walk through everyone and they stop, they hug. Do you hug? Do you not hug? Do you shake hands? Is it awkward? Nominees are near each other and everyone is should do be hammered. So the acceptance speeches are interesting. The Golden Globes are awarded by the Hollywood Farm Press, which is 90 journalists, as you may know from watching the Golden Globes, none of whom are black. And that created a big problem, as it should, because it's not exactly representative. The Golden Globes have never been representative, have nothing to do with color. It's always been a small group of people who decide who they want to nominate. And it's based on having certain celebrities attend their show, because if you are nominated, you're generally going to attend. Everyone's up in arms about the Golden Globes this year because a studio flew out members of the Hollywood Farm Press to Paris to watch Emily in Paris be filmed two nights in a luxury hotel. And whoa, they got nominated for best TV comedy. Emily in Paris was not a good TV comedy. Can you imagine a movie being nominated because there was campaigning done and payola done by a governing body or a studio or a producer? Hello, that's a Tuesday. Do you know the campaigns that go on by these studios to get nominations for the Academy Awards or for the Golden Globes or for the Emmys or for the Tonys? Do you know why they do that? Say it with me. Un, deux, trois. D'argent. D'argent. D apostrophe A-R-G-E-N-T. D'argent means money en français. It is actual measurable economic impact when you get nominated for an award at one of these award shows. Measurable. So the Golden Globes start. You've got Tina Fey on one coast. You've got Amy Poehler on another coast, one in the Rainbow Room, Tina Fey, one in the Beverly Hills Hilton. All they had were first responders in the audience, no celebrities, some celebrity presenters. We had a bunch of wait to sees. We went 10 and five. Go back and listen to Friday's show. Not going to go through every one of them, except I nailed best drama, Nomadland. Best director, yeah, she won. First Asian-American woman to win, Chloe Zhao. Thank you. Frances McDormand did not win Best Actress in an upset. It was won by the actress who played Billie Holiday. Chadwick Boseman did win Best Actor. Borat did great. Sasha Baron Cohen had funny acceptance speeches. Daniel Kaluuya couldn't get his Zoom to work. Al Pacino looked unrecognizable. Jodie Foster made it, so I have to now watch The Mauritanian. I got to watch The Crown because it won. And of course, Queen's Gambit is Queen's Gambit. And thank you to Schitt's Creek. We went 10 and 5. Not great. Not terrible. There were some upsets. And this has zero to do with the Academy Awards. By the way, Jane Fonda was terrific. If you have never seen a Jane Fonda movie, please watch it. Did you know that Jane? F uh, anyway, just watch it. We, we, I think we reviewed Coca, the documentary about Jane Fonda. And I don't remember what it was called. It may have been called Fonda and Five Acts or Jane and Five Acts, but I could be totally mixing this up. But if that is a movie 
and we did review it and we liked it, all of which I think is true, then you should watch it. So there were no, no real memories. No one was drunk. I mean, people are talking about Jason Sudeikis. Was he stoned? He had a tie-dye shirt on. His acceptance speech for Ted Lasso was rambling. There's rambling acceptance speeches all the time. That's the whole point. I don't like the people that pull out a piece of paper out of their chest pocket. And I'd like to thank, and they've got, whoop, like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, the entire list of people. Just speak from your heart. Pretend that you didn't think you were going to win. Jason Sudeikis did it. People are making fun of him, saying that he's recovering from the breakup of him and Olivia Wilde. He was upset that Olivia Wilde, his partner and the mother of his children, is with Harry Styles. Who cares? Jason Sudeikis was in England. This is a live show at 8 p.m. in New York, which makes it 1 a.m. in England. That's what time it is in England when it's 8 p.m. in New York. It was the middle of the night, and you're wondering why he had a tie-dye sweatshirt on? Did you expect him to put on a tux? Maybe on Zoom, you just do a tux from the waist up, like I have a jacket and shirt on the waist up, and you don't know what I'm doing on the waist down because you don't see it, although I've shown you my socks so you do see it. Was Sudeikis high in the middle of the night? The answer is no, and here's how I know. Because he was high earlier in the day, he was just tired because he's shooting Ted Lasso's next season. Anyway, I like the Golden Globes. How's the pick of the day going, Coca? Nothing personal pick of the day. Do you remember what the pick was Friday? I do. We had the Celtics giving three to the Pacers, and we were wondering why it was that the Celtics were only giving three to the Pacers, but we knew that the Celtics were going to play hard for Coach Brad Stevens, and they did. We are now a season-high nine games over 500. We are H-O triple T. Coke and I did not speak about this this weekend. I don't think we lost last week. We are 27 and 18. Well, I got a game today for you. I'm not quite sure why the Mavericks are giving seven to the Magic. The Mavericks have been disappointing to me. They're playing better of late. They've got Luka, who I love. I want him to win the MVP. Porzingis is back and actually playing decently. I just feel like it's too high a spread. I really can't explain to you. It's this feeling I get right after I throw a dart against a board. I then get this amazing sort of lonely, interesting feeling in my tummy. Magic plus seven. Let's keep it going. If we can actually get to 10 games over 500, that would be quite impressive. It really would. So the reason I wanted to talk about Russell Wilson is that uh, I'm not sure when things went sour in Seattle. <laughs> like the movie Sleepless in Seattle. Sour in Seattle is how I'm describing Russell Wilson in his relationship with the Seahawks. It was a great relationship a Super Bowl winning relationship and it merited an extension that was signed by Russell Wilson. And now he's unhappy. We did a segment last, I don't know when, maybe last week where we talked about that. Russell Wilson said, I'm not his agent, maybe named Mark Rogers said that we, you know, we want to be in Seattle, but by the way, if you do want to trade us, here's the only four teams we're going to agree to go to. Russell Wilson, and I'm not going to say that he's married to Yoko Ono. I'm only going to say that there have been changes with Russell. Is that a uh, boomer thing to say, Coca? When I say that he's not married to Yoko Ono, does that mean anything to you? I'm just curious. Coca's totally pissed at me because I didn't know that I was going to talk about Yoko Ono and Russell Wilson's relationship that way. I said, I don't know whether he's married to Yoko Ono. The rumor was that John Lennon, after marrying Yoko Ono, that's what 
is what broke up the Beatles. I'm not saying that Ciara is breaking up the Seahawks. I'm just saying that Russell Wilson, after winning the Super Bowl, becoming a big-time celebrity, sitting next to the commissioner during a game, somehow is no longer happy in Seattle. And now it comes out that he believes that Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, who they may have had a good relationship with and now he does not, thinks Pete Carroll runs too much. Maybe that comes from the last play of the Super Bowl when they ran that one-yard touchdown to win the Super Bowl. Remember, they wanted Russell Wilson to pass. That was going to be the call, but they said, no, no, we're going to run it. (laughs) Do you not remember that, Coca? There's a total chance I got that wrong. Of course I got it wrong. I know he threw the interception in the end zone when all they had to do was run Lynch. I know that. Somehow, Russell Wilson now thinks they don't pass enough. In any case, he now comes out yesterday and says Pete Carroll and his sons answered to nobody. What? Here's what he's talking about. Apparently, Pete Carroll, like many other head coaches, hired his two sons to be assistant coaches. They work their way up. It doesn't matter what they coach, offense or defense, special teams, wide receivers, quarterbacks. There's a gazillion head coaches. Uh, One head coach, there's a gazillion assistant coaches. One of the Carroll sons has left the Seahawks and is now working in Arizona, I think, at the University of Arizona. Pete Carroll said, I'm going to miss him. They would keep me in check. They would say things as my assistant coaches that other assistant coaches wouldn't say because they're my sons. So they'd be far more critical. I'm not sure I understand how that works. But in any case, Russell Wilson claims that they were running amok, the Carroll family, and that the GM, the owner, nobody's paying attention. They're not accountable to anybody. So here is my question. When I'm the president of a team and I've got a manager who needs to be hired, wants to be hired, we want to hire him. And he comes with family members. And we don't want to hire those family members because they're not qualified for the positions. But we're forced to hire them because we've got to satisfy the head coach. We've got to satisfy the manager. Do those people in those positions, the sons, And you understand the sensitive nature of this because I'm a son who was put into a position. And there may be many of you who think that I answered to nobody. And boy, would you be wrong. I had a boss. He was a relative, but he was a boss. And never the two shall meet because this is big business. I can't run amok. I can't do whatever I want. No. I answer to somebody, even if that somebody is in my family when we're not working, that somebody is not going to have me do a job that I'm not capable of doing because it will make his organization look bad, be bad, financially, on the field, off the field, everything. Remember, nepotism can get you in the door. It can't keep you there. 
You've got to keep yourself in the door by working 10 times as hard as anyone else in the organization and being 10 times as smart, even if you're not. It means you have to read. You have to take in information. You have to perform because the light is on you. The scrutiny, the ring lights on either side, they are on you brightly. That was meant to be a flashlight right on your face. Everyone's looking at you to say, hey, he doesn't know what he's doing. That guy's only there because of his father. So A, the kids answer to someone. B, Pete Carroll. Does he answer to someone? You're goddamn right I did. It's always a good day when you can do a few good men reference. Of course he answers to someone. Russell Wilson saying that is just a frustrated player trying to stir up enough of the pot that he can go to one of his four desired destinations. Because when it comes to choosing between your coach and your quarterback, the better owner will choose the coach. You just don't have it right, Russell. Everyone answers to somebody. Well, we've got an announcement to make here on Nothing Personal because of your great retention, knowing that you listened to the entire show. I know you're listening to this. And because you've been listening to the show and you download, you subscribe, you tell your friends, you go on YouTube. I don't understand why we don't have 2,000 subscribers on YouTube because more people than that are watching it and more people than that are listening to it. Tell your friends, nothing personal after one year and change. This is episode 320. Has become more than we ever thought it could but not anywhere near what we know it will become. And guess what? We're doing it at CBS. Our contracts expired on February 28th. We are back. I appreciate all the people at CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ, all the people at Big CBS, Viacom CBS who believed in nothing personal because it is off brand to have two guys, me and Coca, talking for 45 minutes every day, talking about entertainment, politics, sports, things that make CBS absolutely grab their knuckles on the ledges. We get the call. We get it. Don't talk about that. Come on. Don't say that. Oh my God, that many people are listening to the show? All right, go ahead, say it. But remember, your views do not reflect the views and opinions of this organization. Okay, whatever it takes to make you sleep at night. I am thankful to CBS. I'm proud to be part of the CBS family. I'm proud to work with Coca, but I am most proud that nothing personal will continue. We will be with you every day, 45 minutes, We appreciate you. We appreciate your time. We do not take it for granted. We do not take CBS for granted. And we will continue to deliver to you the best show we can every day. Because on nothing personal, we had to make it about business. But secretly, it was super personal for me and Coca.